Welcome to the Touching Into Presence podcast. This podcast is for people who are interested in body work, empowerment, and somatic-based practices. I am Nikki Olson. I'm Andrew Rosenstock. We are certified rolfers. Collectively, we're trained in various movement and bodywork therapies with an emphasis on somatic awareness and client resilience. Through conversations, our goal is to share and explore mind-body paradigms to offer empowerment possibilities. It's such an honor and a treat to be in conversation with Gil Headley today. Gil Headley, PhD, earned his doctorate in theological ethics from the Divinity School of the University of Chicago and also became a certified rolfer at the Rolf Institute in Boulder, Colorado, back in the early 90s. His combined interests and training has supported his personal exploration of the human body and led him to develop an integral approach to the study of human anatomy. Through hands-on human dissection courses in the laboratory and lecture presentations, he has encouraged thousands of fellow somanauts to appreciate, explore, and embody the wonders of human form. He has published a number of books, as well as produced the Integral Anatomy series, a set of four feature-length videos documenting his whole body, layer-by-layer approach through on-camera dissection. Our talks span various topics, and instead of giving a taste of what we talk about, I feel it's best just to dive in and get wet in the richness of experience that is Gil Headley. So with that, let's begin our talk. Ah, got it. Okay, there we go. Just took a little bit of poking around. Well, how exciting. We were just saying that this is our first sort of minor technical difficulty one, so it's really great to to have firsts all the time. <laughs> I'm extra competent at foible firsts. <laughs> we're excited to talk to you for your history of, if, correct me if I'm wrong, but you started off as a rolfer. Or you, I did, yeah. Yeah. And... Um, and I, I started, used to, yeah, I started off as a Tai Chi guy in graduate school and then kind of discovered Rolfing there. Yeah. But you, I mean, one of the things I, I mean, there's so many things that I'm fascinated about you by, but part of it is your background in, correct me if I'm wrong, theologic, uh, ethics, theological ethics. Yeah. Theologic, yeah. Um, which I came to body work as a, I mean, I came to this for me. I was a yoga practitioner and then I got into Thai body work and progressed in the way, but I've really gotten more into the philosophical realms of, of body work, which mm-hmm. I would imagine having a background in theologic, theological ethics, it's difficult for me to say that you had, you must've, I would have imagined had that in that about like, what are you touching into? What is a what is a body? In a, you know, but yeah, from, these are important questions to me. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we did talk about before was about what brought you to Rolfing, and I and I'm, and I think a bit of that probably has to do with the theological ethics, uh, if I'm I'm guessing there, and maybe you could share about that. I'm happy to. Um, it would be it would I, I guess it's kind of backwards to that. It's more like how did I get it? How did how did being in theological ethics help me to realize how disconnected I was from my body? Yeah. <laughs> how, yeah. I mean, uh, and how yeah. irrelevant everything I have to say is if not connected to my body as an ethicist. And so I'd better get to work uh, with embodiment so that I'm not just blowing smoke. Yeah. So how did you find that out? I was practicing Tai Chi in grad school. That was my first step to, finding out I had a body and um, we did acupressure and turned out my hands were kind of good. And I just started moving in a way different than a monk reading a book. And that, uh, that was like profound to like expand my movement and vocabulary through Tai Chi. I did that for about seven years until it felt like a straitjacket, and I had to, you know, it, it, what had become what what first started out as an expansion of my movement repertoire became a, a limit cycle on it, and I and I sort of dropped that practice so that I could move in any which way. Uh, I mean, I spent two hours a day going through forms and rehearsing the kind of choreography of the 
forms that I had learned. And it was like, okay, that's great for a single guy in grad school, but for, for a married man with kids, it's, it's over. So, uh, I moved, I moved on and, and, uh, and expanded my movement vocabulary to be jumping around the living room because I stepped on a Lego <laughs> and it turns out that's very freeing. <laughs> so. <laughs> so you became more into spontaneous movement and just <laughs> yeah, true I essence of somatic yeah. experiencing. Yeah. I, yeah, just life, life moving with life, mm-hmm. just living, living life, uh, in a, in a way that's more, that, that involves more than going to the library, reading a book and writing a dissertation, which I did for years. Uh, so, you know, I, I can't say I'm a movement practitioner of anything at all. Uh, my movement is generally perceived as quirky by anyone who sees me wiggle around a little bit. And that's fine. And uh, I like that because I've sort of tried to shake off as many forms as possible, both in terms of movement repertoire and also in terms of mental repertoire so that uh i don't see it as very different actually the, our, our our mental and psychical repertoire is is the limit cycle on our movement so the more you can break down your mental ruts uh the more possibility there is for breaking down your movement ruts and i've found myself on a decades-long quest to destroy and dismantle every dogma that I've fallen for. And, uh, and it's, it's a sometimes painful, but interesting process to just keep letting go and letting go of, of, um, of things you thought you believed in. (laughs) So you said after finishing Tai Chi, then you found maybe yourself through structural integration. Yeah, I, I, uh, I went home. I was massaging my mom at Christmas time, giving her a little acupressure massage and her body felt so strangely liquid and different because she usually felt like a two by four on her back. And, and, I, and I was like, what happened to you? And she said she got roughed. And I was like, whoa, that's cool. <laughs> I got to find out about that. And so I looked up Ida Rolf and, and the Rolf Institute. And I basically chose to become a Rolfer as an intellectual decision without ever having been roughed or even really you know, having any sense of my own body other than the Tai Chi practice. And so I went to Alan Davidson in Chicago and he Rolf me because they said, you got to get Rolf to become a Rolfer. I was like, Ooh, okay, I'll do it. And uh, so I got Rolfed and that was an interesting experience. I kind of fell apart at the end. Turns out I'm really not built to be a Rolfer <laughs> or, or, or even to be Rolfed. I, I literally fell apart. I couldn't walk for about four days after my 10th session. Went back for an 11th session, couldn't walk for another four days. And Alan was like, I'm not working on you anymore. <laughs> so, so he sent me to this wonderful gal uh, uh, who had taken like two Johns Barnes seminars. She was an occupational therapist. And he's like, and she worked on me every week for about a year and a half. And she kind of saved me from myself. Uh, in the best way and enabled me to complete my graduate studies on two feet. And then I got into the rolfing training. And on the first day that I showed up for my rolfing training, I could barely walk because I had fallen apart again. <laughs> and uh, it was. Can you speak to the, the therapy that brought you back together again after getting dismantled from rolfing? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think she held me together. I don't think she put me together. She just did a lot of little jiggling and kind of Barnesy kind of moves on me. And that kept kept me functional for that year and a half finishing up graduate school. But actually, I think it was when I when I did my well, we didn't have the new style training. It was auditor and practitioner. So I was a practitioner and Robert Schleip was leading the class. And uh, that's when I became friends with Robert. And Robert was like, oh, we're not going to rob this guy again. It doesn't work for him. So he basically t- had my practitioner person, he basically would come by the table, teach her some Feldenkrais moves. <laughs> She'd wiggle me for an hour. And then by the end of that, I never really had a major back problem again, uh, which was wonderful because I had suffered for 19 straight years with extreme pain and back troubles. And it was really actually after that practitioner training that we resolved my back troubles and threw me into 24 years of migraine headaches. <laughs> so maybe it's 26 years now, 26 years of migraines and cluster headaches. So basically I decided that that my pain just was moving up through my system. And that once I work out this head part, 
which may which may happen after I'm dead. But if we do it now, if we could just if we could just get get it out, get, get this monster out of me, exercise this pain, um, I'll, whew, I'll have my miracle. <laughs> so. I find it interesting that even even though the rolfing didn't really work on you or it, it you know destroyed you, you still wanted to to go through the process. I commit. <laughs> <laughs> I've been told that I'm one of those people who commits, even if it's not good for me. So it was good for me. It was something I really needed to do. Um, I had wonderful uh, aha moments and experiences of myself during my rolfing process. Um, I can, I mean, actually before Alan even touched me, I was in tears because I was, <laughs> I was doing this. I don't know if I can show it with these earphones on, but you know, you know how you're supposed to sort of stand there. Oh, I don't really fit in the, I don't really fit in the thing. Anyway, you know how you're supposed to stand there, right? And you first, and they take your picture or whatever. I like it better when I can hear you guys. You don't have to mute yourself. You just look like weird bobbleheads if I can't hear you. <laughs> so, so, um, so Alan has him stand there, right? And I'm going to get rid of my head because I don't really need that. I want you to see my pelvis, right? So I'm standing here and I'm like, I'm like doing my Tai Chi stance, you know, knees slightly bent, like, like uh, butt tucked is was pretty normal. I'm doing my Tai Chi breath, which basically means I'm not allowed to use my chest because it's like chest breathing is bad. So I'm breathing from my diaphragm as if you could do otherwise. And uh, so basically I wasn't breathing from my diaphragm. I was holding my chest. And so I had this and, and my head was like this. And I'm kind of terrified because I don't know who the fuck this guy is. And I'm in my underwear. So uh, here I am. And, and I'm just like staring at the camera waiting for him to take the picture, which he didn't do. And he says, he says to me, stop doing that. And I was like, it, it was like Satori. It was like someone hit me with a peacock feather. Cause I was like, Oh my gosh, I've been doing something for years and it doesn't feel good. And so I just kind of, I just kind of stood up and I, I dropped my whole thing and I just stood there like a human being and I breathed and I felt so light and I, I was like, oh my God, I got my rolfing series right there. <laughs> Just from 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 letting go, letting go of my my Catholic plus Tai Chi posture for a moment. And uh, I realized how powerful the choices that we make around who we are are for how we move. Uh, if I'm a Tai Chi guy, you know, my my friend Jane used to say, oh, all you Tai Chi guys, we can see you walking across campus. They all look the same because we all like walk like we had a load in our pants and couldn't ever, you know, let go of our Tai Chi posture and our Tai Chi guy look. And um, and she was right, you know, and we do that all the time. It doesn't matter what it is. If you think you're a this or a that, you'll you'll walk like a this or a that. Yeah, I mean, we had Judith Ashton on a month or so ago, and she actually mm -hmm. mentioned a similar thing. Like in the 70s at Esalen, all the rolfers had their rolfer walk where they were putting on their walk and, you know, doing their their impersonation and, and doing their rolfer sort of thing. Yeah, or assembling uh, yourself for your 10th session photo, you know. Yeah. Oh, now, I think was, you touch in on, on um, something that's really, I mean, of course, it's a little bit of the fascination with, any kind of structural integration and somatic awareness of how we take on patterns yeah. and, and kind of own them, whether they're really good for our bodies or not. I mean, mm -hmm. you, you're kind of reminding me, I worked on a, a man who had years and years and years of dedication into meditation and some, somehow, but he came to me cause he's having low back pain and you know, the first session of, you know, the work is like working around the breath and, you know, and he's breathing. And I swear, I thought his belly was going to burst because he had such this big belly diaphragmatic breath. And I'm like, okay, but there's a rib cage where your lungs <laughs> are. Like, you want that to explain? He's like, oh, no, I haven't done that in years. That's not good for meditation. Yeah, and I'm like, that's, that's so misguided. Um, I know. Yeah. So I'm curious, like, so with this kind of theme that we're talking about, how bodies take on patterns and claim them as their as their being but then a big part of your life and prof profession is working with cadavers yeah and so you get to see 
how the body takes on these different shapes and how our tissue finds its alignment. Can you, can you speak to that a little bit of knowing how humans are and then get to see a very intimate well, we, place we that many people? We are incredibly morphable. Maybe not in the way that Rolfers think actually, but, but um, we, I mean, look at us. We're all quite different variations on the theme of human. And I consider it kind of the, one of the founding principles of integral anatomy that we start integral anatomy studies with the specific example of a human body, like the cadaver on the table, um, as opposed to an average or mean um, that might be drawn in a book, which actually represents nobody. And so the, the body on the table is the real human anatomy, not the example in the book. And real human anatomy uh, is fantastically variable. I just literally left the table before coming to this conversation, looking at you know the viscera of this form that I'm working on that I've never seen, seen anything like it. It's like a, it's truly one of a kind. I mean, it's it's barely a variation on the theme. It's so interesting, and I'm like, wow, I. I I'm bamboozled 450 bodies. I've never seen anything like this. You know, and it just, it, but it's like that every day. And, uh, and so our capacity to express through a body um, is, is unique and interesting and kind of potentially fun if you dare to indulge yourself in your uniqueness rather than try and meet the standard, the dogma, as I was mentioning before, like this is what, how you should move through space. This is the thing. Um, we had a lady named, she was a lovely person. There was two movement teachers at the Rolf Institute when I was there. There was Jane Harrington, who was wonderful. And then there was another lady. She was awesome. So anyway, this lady had like a hip dysplasia thing. All I can tell you is that she she had kind of a hip hitch, hmm. and and she what she did was teach us how how important one's compensations can be to functional movement, and that taking away someone's compensations to make them look like the little boy logo uh, or something um, is wrongheaded and destructive when a person's compensation is maybe extremely functional. And I love that lesson that we all got from her. Um, I got another similar lesson last year. I had a woman in my class who had like a palsy type paralysis and she took my class. I wish I could remember her name. She was a lovely person. And uh, she had been in a car accident in her teenage years that left her, you know, looking a little palsy-ish in her movements, not a little, a lot, a little spas spastic in her movements. And I had talked about sort of working through some of the drag that's created in the nervous system when there's adhesions at the deep level in the musculature. And, and she said, oh, we don't always want to do that. It was a real eye-opener to hear that from her. And I was like, tell me more. I'm very curious. And she basically said, well, if you have these kind of spasticity disorders and adhesions deep within the muscle tissue, you can actually leverage that thrusting movement potential. You can actually train it to go in the direction you want. So if you don't actually have, say, muscle strength, but you do have spasticity, you can actually adapt your spasticity to function. That's so cool. Just so the, blew the my mind. And that's yeah. how she walked. That's, that's how she walked. And I was like, it was similar to that other lesson I had had, you know, 25 years earlier from the yet yet named <laughs> movement teacher at the Rolf Institute about, about our learning to appreciate compensations and not just decompensating people, which is basically what happened to me in my Rolfing uh, process. I basically got decompensated. I have like reverse spinal curves. My lumbars go backwards and my thorax goes forwards. And if you want to try and fix that, well, get over it. You know, it's not going to fix. So um, it's not to be fixed. It's, there's nothing wrong with it. It's just me. Right. And I have my own way of moving 
relative to that strange, relatively strange pattern. And if you try and take that away from me, I'm in trouble. Um, so yeah, decompensation can be a dangerous thing. Yeah, it's, it's really fascinating because I, I think so many people, when they start body work, whether it's rolfing or anything, do have that that symmetry and perfection, you know, the ideal body. Yeah. And I just, I just, I spent a while talking to someone last night about about the functional versus structural, but thinking really, I don't think I would have ever necessarily thought about that palsy as that thrust as as functional until now. Yeah. Yeah, it it blew it blew me away, and I was like, okay, put that in your remember that, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. uh, and and, it, and that's you know an uh, an extreme example, maybe, but I, I, I it's an extreme example in that it helps you to get it, but if you take then take that example and move it into a, a more sort of standard issue movement expression of a person and maybe think twice before you undo something to fit your vision of how a person should look or move. When I think that lends to a greater message, whether we're just talking about body work or just how people view themselves to celebrate our differences rather than trying to place ourselves in this idea of what we should look like, you know, body yeah. workers, maybe rely on the anatomy books of like, oh, this is what alignment looks like or how someone's body, you know, the plumpness or the skinniness, how, how is that acceptable in this society that bodies get these skewed um, ideas of what, what's perfect, yeah. what's nice. Yeah. And I think it's nice to just kind of come back to, you know, skin deep, we all have our uniqueness and our own ways to to move, and that should be celebrated and not looked at differently and yeah. less than. I do find it to be a major theme of my teaching in the lab as I introduce people to the different textures of the body um, to just kind of pop it into people's awareness that they may have preferences when they come to the table for different um, tissues and that's to be expected especially people coming from a variety of different professions the massage therapists are going to be a little gaga for the muscles and they're all for structural integrators tend to be a little gaga for the deep fascia and the whatever the chiropractors commonly want to fiddle with the atlas and the (laughs) nerves or whatever and so on and so on but my and so, okay, so there's the preference, there's the, there's the tissue that you like, and then there are often the tissues that you don't like, and, you, and, and to try and bring into your awareness your, your own revilings relative to certain aspects of the form, maybe you're terrified of the viscera, maybe you hate your fat or whatever. And then, and then there's the stuff that you don't know at all so there's like the stuff that's inside of this wrapper that's like a total surprise you didn't even know it was there. So those are my three categories. You like it, you hate it, and you have no concept. And so with respect to the no concept stuff, I just try and like say, check this out. This is here. This is part of the picture. And maybe it'll give context and meaning to your favorite thing. So that let it still I'm going to take away your favorite thing, keep your favorite thing, but let's flesh it out a little bit. Let's 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 see see how you get to your favorite thing. Let's see what its context is, and then the stuff that you don't like at all. I kind of I kind of put your feet to the fire a little bit in my class, and force people to and I just due to the structure of the class and I've designed it, just have people stand in front of that sometimes for an hour. This thing that they don't you know, aren't really attached to and, and, and talk about aspects of appreciation for that thing, right. For that layer, for that texture until it's like, Hmm, maybe I, maybe I didn't consider this as deeply as I might've before I rejected it for some emotional reason or some childhood reason or some 
comment that got made to me when I was walking up the staircase in high school, whatever, you know, whatever it is that, that sets you apart from yourself, it's my, I consider it my, my opportunity to invite you to yourself by finding aspects of appreciation for all these different textures and then just see where that takes you. You can have a very narrow practice if you hate certain tissues. Um, you know, and, and you, you'll think, oh, so weird. I always get people coming to me with knee problems. You know, it's like, yeah, cause you're like the knee person. Cause you're just not into the other thing. <laughs> uh, that's, all you'll, that's all your field can tolerate is that knee person or whatever. And you get really good at it. That's fine. And after five years of that, you're like fucking bored and you're hoping that someone else comes in, but you have to be, you have to open, you know, at a certain level in yourself, in your self-connection to make the space so that you could actually lead someone to say, appreciate their uh, superficial fashion. So that you can, you can appreciate your scars that you're not thinking like, we got to make that go away, fix that. It's like, wait a second, that's warm for that. You'd be dead. So let's start with a thank you. So I tend to lead with appreciation. <laughs> And uh, it's very transformative. That's really fascinating. I I don't know. I I spent a little bit of time teaching in the phase one at the Rolf Institute. So I've been to, I've always wanted to take one of your intensive cadaver labs, but I've accompanied a lot of the students in the, the little dip in of the cadaver lab that they go to in the phase one. And it's, it's, I'm just really curious to hear how there's people who have their favorites. And I, I can kind of, I can see that, but I think when you go in and, you know, witness, you know, here you call it a form, but when you witness a, a body and all the different layers, I think in my, it, it's just, it's so intense in a lot of ways of, in just witnessing gross anatomy and then also trying to say in discernment of like, okay, this, this is, this, this is a great body that we get to learn from, but also this was a person and, you know, wondering what their life was like and what, what, how did they end their life? How would, so all these things, it's become so much to compute that to think that that you could have a bias of like, I'm not going to be interested in that part. It's, I, oh, I don't, you don't I even have a choice. You react to it. Yeah. That's the thing. What is, this is not about, this is not an intellectual thing. This is a lifelong disposition, right? It's an orientation to your own body and towards other people's bodies. It's a way of modeling your world, right? So if you, I had, I had a, I taught a class once. There was a very sweet, round lady in the class round as could be, dear as could be, and big and round. And there were some athletic personal trainer type people also in the class. And her very existence was a conundrum for them. They were they they were full of judgment of this woman. And they couldn't help themselves but need to kind of point out her self to herself as if she had never seen herself in the mirror before, as if they were going to save her, you know, from her body, like it's dangerous, morbid obesity or something like that. And she, she dressed those guys down so hard. It was beautiful. <laughs> I loved it. I, I wasn't going to jump in for her, but she didn't need any help, you know, and she had been a marathon runner. She had been a, um, an athlete herself. She knew what it was like to have an athletic body. And uh, things changed, you know, she had various issues come up, various health issues. Um, and this was her form now. Mm-hmm. And she accepted that. And she said, you know something? I might not live as long as you, but I'm, I'm all right with that. You know, whatever, because you're a fucking asshole and I'm a loving person. She didn't finish with that, but that's what was going on in my head. <laughs> um, but uh 
Does this all get bleeped later on? <laughs> no, I mean, we, 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 we can. This is me. <laughs> yeah. No, no, I'm fine with it. But I mean, I grew up on garbage trucks in northern New Jersey. So it's a little rough inside of this mouth. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> I'm from, Gil, I'm from Boston. So we're not, we're not known for our, our yeah. soft speaking. Awesome. So anyway, it was just, the thing is that our human bodies are buried not only from person to person, but from time to time. That's the life cycle. Um, and there's no getting around it. There's no getting around your skin getting wrinkly and your jowls starting to form. Me and my sisters are getting a little jowly now. Uh, and in this part of our lives, it's like, okay. <laughs> I'm not a bad person because my cheeks are starting to sag in gravity. <laughs> and some, and, and, uh, you know, so it's, it's, there's so much, um, if you self inspect a little bit, do a little introspection and, and be really honest as a practitioner with yourself and, and be like, Hmm, I got to admit, I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of put off by X, Y, Z type and you don't know what that is. It's very different for everybody. Some people are much more comfortable with weight than others. Some people are, are put off by skinny. Some people, it depends on the person, right? So it's very, I, I remember walking down the street with a woman who just looked at me and she, she kind of like laughed at me. And I, I don't know, I thought there might've been a little chemistry, but she's like, I prefer like a man's body. She said, because I was like too skinny for her, you know? And she was like something with a little bit of, you know, meat on it like, <laughs> like you're like a little boy get away from me it's creepy you know <laughs> and i was like wow <laughs> i gotta go eat <laughs> so. uh, yeah, and when, when you were saying that about the different types i you know my first thought was like oh well i i don't have i'm sure i'd love it all but then i i sat with it when you were speaking and i realized mm-hmm. blood blood would make me uncomfortable from childhood stuff Mm-hmm. But I was also, I was a hundred pounds heavy. I was more than a hundred pounds heavier than I am now. Uh-huh. And fat would probably not when I'm working with people, but in dissection, I would definitely react different. I can feel it in my body. There, there's yeah. a, an apprehension towards fat because of, of all of my history, uh, which anxiety, I could, I, yeah, yeah. yeah I, I could work with that. I'm sure. But I, I, it's not something when I work on heavier set people, I actually like working on heavier people because I've been in a body like that before. Mm-hmm. And I can, I think, relate to it. Um, mm-hmm. Whereas on a really thin person, sometimes I'm afraid. I mean, I'm six foot four. Mm-hmm. I'm afraid like I give a little too much and I might just break the person. Mm-hmm. Um, thinking about the section. Yeah, it's, it's just an interesting sort of that quick anxiety apprehension that's that's yeah. there. Yeah. So kudos on you for even putting yourself to the test for a minute. And, and um, the course is really a full-on test like there's just no getting away from you one you'll be all crabby all of a sudden you talking shit to your neighbors and and it's like oh i'm actually in reaction to the tissue mm-hmm. that i'm standing in front of and it's got i always tell people like don't listen to the plot you know <laughs> the the plot that people lay on to their experience is usually pure bs and it's what you think something is about going on in your first instance is generally a reaction and defense. And if you just breathe through it for a couple of minutes, you'll be like, Oh wow, this is scaring the shit out of me. I need a break. You know, that's more honest than this lady's perfume stinks or you're standing too close to me. Uh, Cause 10 minutes later, when you feel better, you kind of think that smells good and you want them to stand close because it feels nice. Mm. Yeah. That's something I, I found in, in many I'll say body work, but I think that's in many contemplatory studies is there's always a contemplative. Day. Sorry, contemplative. Thank the you. English teacher and me yes. can't help. Thank you. <laughs> um, my my English. You can correct me. In the contemplative um, studies I've done, whether it's physical body work, yoga, meditation, whatever, there's like on the longer after you're there, three to five days minimum. There's always a day of of reaction of mm. feeling unhappy about something and, and it's just working through it. And I can, mm-hmm. I could totally see within the, within your class, having not done it. And again, it's one of those things I actually, I feel like for a lot of people, it's on their, their bucket list of like, what are the courses you, you should take? You know, you could do this advanced training. You could do this, you know, this class and it's like gills, uh, gills dissections are, you know, when you meet people and they've like, and people have studied with you, there is a, there is a, uh, 
oh, you know, eyes light up. Oh, what was that like? You know, it, it's, um, and I think it's really great that I don't know how you created it. If, if there was something before or not, that was inspiration for you. But I, I do see it as a, I see not just the classes you teach as a gift, but also the fact that you have all that you have online for free for people to take is such a gift to humanity. Mm, thank you. And, and there, there, uh, there was something before, not much. It was me poking around in a lab a little bit, myself with a friend. And then uh, the first time I offered a class, I hadn't, I hadn't created the structure yet. Wait, can um, we step back a second? Because I'm curious, because we were just talking about how people have their biases or their interests of, of going into wanting to learn, you know, cadavers. What was your interest? Like, how did you, we, we kind of left with you being dismantled as a rolfer and that wasn't where you, where you were. And then how did you find yourself curious about doing anatomy on the cadaver level? Well, as I mentioned, I was in pain in graduate school. And when I took up first the pre-training, I went to the, it was called FOB, hundred years ago, foundations of bodywork uh, that Tom Myers had developed until Lukow and Aline um, uh, Newton were, were teaching this uh, pre-training for people like me who had no massage background or anything. It was like a little mini Swedish course that they taught. So it would turn you into a mini massage therapist before we teach you all thing. And, you know, I was in so much pain back, back at, back in Chicago or in graduate studies and I thought, hmm, I've seen a little anatomy. Maybe, maybe if I could look at a cadaver, I could figure out my pain. I could, I could see where I hurt, and then I would understand it. So I had a housemate in med school at the University of Chicago, and I followed him into the gross lab one day. And I wanted to see the rotatories and the multifidus. I was like, if I can see those, maybe I tore one of those. And that, I think that's what's wrong with me, you know. And so they kind of heaved up this... <laughs> He, this cadaver was supine. I don't want to look at his back. And they were in, like two months into the thing. So they were far along. They kind of heaved it into a sitting position. This old cadaver sitting there. And his back muscles are all kind of hanging off when I see his spine. And I took one look and I was like, no, that's not my problem. <laughs> my problems are much, much bigger. <laughs> that little bit of flesh there. And uh, I was like, oh, I'm not, I'm not seeing a big picture here, you know. So I was exposed to that. And then I had a friend in med school, uh, another friend in med school. And I went in on Saturdays and I did a dissection with him. They'd like do an arm on that week. And then there was an undone arm and he was studying this done arm for the test on Monday. And I would come and dissect the other arm or the other leg or whatever they weren't doing. And so I went in a number of times. And again, it was very higgledy piggledy. This was regional anatomy. So when I held my first class, it's just got some people together and we, I got Grant's Atlas and I was like, let's see what we want to see. You know, and it was just a disaster. We had a great time, but it was nightmarish in terms of the impact. And it also was quite incoherent with what I'd learned at the Ralph Institute about the continuities of our anatomy. So I had kind of a, had kind of a abstract mental sense of continuity. And I had my felt sense as a rolfer, as a new rolfer, I could feel different textures in the body, which I thought was really cool. So when I went back to second year to offer another class, it was like, ah, oh, okay, I gotta do this completely differently. I was, I was terrified to go to my own class because I was like, I have to, I can't have people see that higgledy-piggledy again. That's just not right. You know, it's nightmarish. And so I did a test run with a few people before I taught the classes and said, I want to do it in layers. You know, I want to just, just, just take off the skin and see what happens, you know? So we didn't know how to do any kind of large swaths, you know, it kind of chipped away, chipped away, chipped away. But then there was this great yellow fleece before our eyes and it was astonishing. And I asked, you know, do you find this instructive to the folks I had gathered? And they were like, Yes, <laughs> this is really instructive. And I was like, okay, good. Let's, let's reflect that now. 
And, and so that's how that process became. But it's become very refined over the years. I'm much better at helping people to dissect. I dissect much better myself. But it's not really about the dissection skill. That's not important. I don't care if anyone has any dissection experience kind of my class. I can teach you how to teach anybody how to dissect in 15 minutes. But um, the, the, it's more about refining the relationship to what's in front of you and, 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 and creating a container in the form of the class where you can hold space for that vibration for a day. Like, can you hang out with this for a day? You know, who hangs out with skin for a day? Nobody, right? So can you hang out with this for a day? Can you hang out with this fatty layer for a day? I'm not saying for a year, for a month. I'm just saying for a day. But a day is more than five minutes poking around in someone's body and then going into the muscle. You know, uh, if you spend a day with that tissue, your life will be changed. And, and on and on, one layer by layer by layer. Well, and I think that's why you're so popular and why people want to study with you because I think I follow you on social media and it's always, I really love, you bring so much spirit in um, kind of wellness. I mean, you're kind of a whole package in terms of working with the body. So it is, you. I, uh, how do I say it? When you go, like, again, I've been a handful of cadaver labs and it is fascinating and it's really interesting to see the body in layers, but it, it becomes very anatomical and very like muscles attach here and here, and this is their function. But I think you really hold in the whole body, all of it. And really I'm imagining, I haven't actually been in your class, but I've followed you a ton and watched a lot of your videos. And I think it, it's a, a great way to to learn about the body and that, that it's really encompassing all realms and it's just not this one specific layer. Yeah. Because as we know, when we're touching in on the body, you know, we're not just touching skin. You can only touch the whole body. Yeah. And you can only touch the whole person. And it's really the whole person that I'm interested in. The body is just like um, a conversation starter. In a, in, to engage the whole person. Uh, I'm not really super interested in working with a group of people who've checked their personalities at the door and are coming in as intellectual, objective, blah, blah, blah. I, I don't even believe it's possible. So all, all I'm seeing in that case is suppression <laughs> of, the, of the whole person, right? So you, it's, it's never gone. It's just maybe in the background energetically. And so I'm, I invite people to, to be present as a whole person because you learn so much more uh, if you show up with as many elements of yourself as possible, if you exclude certain elements of yourself from a session or from uh, a learning experience or from an encounter with another person. I mean, we do it all the time, you know, we cry on the shoulder of someone at the supermarket, you know, we, 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 we manage ourselves, but that having been said, we can show up more fully than we generally dare to. And it'll, and it turns out that it's all right. You know, you'd be surprised at what can happen on a supermarket aisle when, when you're walking through it as an integrated spirit, you know, you might pick up on something. You might say something that you wouldn't have said if you had just been on a mission to get this can of sardines. Uh, I think in uh, is that your coffee coming in behind you too? Is that- I don't know. What is that? Is that decaf? What do you got for me there? That was mine. Oh, fine. It's my kid's caffeinated coffee. That was my okay. son's arm. <laughs> little little bugger. With, with you, you didn't know. I thought that might be like some cerebral cerebral spinal fluid coming in, like the the <laughs> test. <laughs> but no, I want to echo a little what Nikki said. One of the things I I've loved about your dissections is you you bring that hole in you bring the spirit in of the person you name you name them but you don't give them their name so like mr agape you know you you have these this spiritual sense that you're in a way honoring the person you're working with so that, that you do know we're, we're working on someone we're not working on a body we're working on somebody 
some person? Well, I would put it a little differently. Right. I would put it, we're working on some bodies, <laughs> some, in other words, um, I, I never mistake a cadaver for a person. Um, it's a very abstract model. That's why I call them forms and models, right? Um, because, and, and at the same time, it's a model of a person who did walk this earth. And is and like, in other words, I got to show you my nasty ass shoe here. Right? So here's my shoe. It is gross. I've been wearing it in the lab for, for whatever, um, eight straight months. And it's got a lot of me in it at this point. It's got a lot of a few other people as well, but it's got a lot of me. And, and yet it's not me, right? So I do find the body once shed to be a lot like that shoe. It's like literally a track or a footprint of a personality or a diary where a story has been told. But um, if you look through like my dad's closet after he died, I'm like, you say, oh, this dude was into nice shoes. He liked to wear a suit once in a while. He had a lot of flannel shirts from Hay Band. You know, it's like you can sort of pick up some, some, uh, some feel for the person. He had a couple of Rasta belts, like where'd they come from? <laughs> so, so, uh, so you, you know, and it's a lot like that when you're going through a body. So, uh, although I don't, um, you know, I'm appreciating the impact of a soul on matter. Um, oh, I like that. How you really said that, that, cause I think, Many people can kind of intellectually be like, oh, I'm my person and I have this trait or I learned this from this family member, you know, whatever influences that we've had from family environment or work environment. Um, but yeah, that how it. How all that is, we are not just one body. Physically, maybe, but we have all these bodies that have made an influence on our matter. I take that, I, I love that. And I would take it even further because at the very, very beginning, you, Andrew said something about what is a body and that so I gotta be like my, my all time favorite question next to who am I? My two favorite questions. And, and, and on that consideration, what is a body? Like, does it really end here? are the feelings that I have in my relationship with you, do they not constitute a kind of extension of my flesh and yours meeting in the seeming space between us? There's a texture to it. There's a continuity, no less profound than the continuities I find within this flesh. In fact, they might be more profound, actually. I'm more conscious, actually, of the texture between us than the textures within myself. And the notion that my body is this skin envelope may be a limiting model. And maybe my human body actually includes all the human bodies. You know, maybe what is my body? Maybe my body actually I'm a person also of the earth. Maybe the continuities there are also forgotten as I identify with this very abstract piece of the body that's a larger whole. Like I focus my consciousness here. That doesn't mean that that doesn't prove <laughs> that this is my body just proves that I pay an awful lot of attention from here, from here, from here. <laughs> but we, even at a distance, are finding a coherence, nodding with one another, following each other's vocal and physical cues as if we were one organism. The sun turns around the planet and all the people on the ground there start falling asleep. <laughs> you know, the earth, the earth is turning and it's like, <laughs> <laughs> and then on the other side, it's like, <laughs> and it's just going around like that and we can't stop it. It's right. It's, yeah. It's interesting. So that 
Earth analogy is interesting because I just finished off a week of um, of biodynamic cranial training that was online, and when we were going over biotensegrity, I, I had a view, I mean I, I know biotensegrity, but I had this view of biotensegrity as actually greater than just physical, but actually the 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 sun and the moon and the earth the pull on each other as well, having this this sense of we're all in this this play this dance of 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 unity of 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 tensegrity you know we'll call it but of, of more than that and thinking of that earth turning and then people going to sleep which i i love that just that picture in my mind of of <laughs> like slowly people falling out of some sort of a christopher nolan movie or something <laughs> um, but when i hear that it brings me into thinking more about uh, like embodied phenomenology and ontology, which I'm guessing when you were in, in your graduate school, were you looking at what it is to be a body? Was that part of the, that, that came later? Not even close. No, the very fact that I took an interest in a body was quite confounding to my professors. Uh, and I had friends, you know, people who were interested in the body, but being interested in the body in grad school is like, I had a friend, dear friend, she was into Chinese philosophy and she was looking into the body in Chinese philosophy, but you know, she was, it was philological. She was like counting how many times the word nose or, or ear comes up in, you know, ancient Chinese poetry um, to literally just document body referencing as opposed to embodiment. It was kind of different project. Mm -hmm. And I know she's working on that now still um, as am I. Anyone who's ever been through a program like that is going to spend the rest of their life trying to get back into their body because it's like you're knocked out of it. Uh, but I love to think, you know, as we spoke, as you're enjoying the, the idea of the folks falling asleep, I, I find it profoundly amusing when the, when the pineal gland, which used to be the pineal body because they didn't know what it was and anything that's called a body in anatomy means we don't know what it is. So, which is really funny because we call the whole thing the body, you know, but thinking that. so, yeah, the pineal body back in the seventies and then, and then they were like, that's oh, the pineal gland. And it was the master gland. Now we had the ma new master gland. And I see the sun is the master gland. That's why we all fall asleep and wake up, <laughs> you know, uh, in our common body, you know, in other words, the sun is our shared master gland. The moon is pulling on every uterus in the planet. You think we can resist that? We can't resist that, literally. If it can slosh around the ocean, it can sure as well slosh around your, your deep pelvis, sloshy as it is down there. <laughs> uh, you, um, you really, I, I don't know if you know this. I'll just share it. You are a gift to, uh, I mean, you're a gift to the, the world, but you're a gift to our field. Um, and I think largely just because of the way you think, like saying, saying what you just said is both incredibly deep, incredibly funny. There's a sense of levity. That's one of the things I've really enjoyed about you, which I, I find that a lot of, I might say higher level, whatever that means, you know, uh, higher level, teachers are so uptight, which is probably what you would have been if you continued going on your, your way down. the would have had a podium on my ass by yeah. then. <laughs> that, that levity is, uh, for me, is so important because it's a way of, it's not that it's not serious, it very much is, but you can find a, a balance within that. And it's the way that you, even the way you just said that, but the way you phrase a lot of things, I think it, it, it makes it easy for all people to understand. Oh, well, thank really you. Great. And that's, thank you. And the, 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 the levity, that's always been my comeback to, to, to my, to the theme of, of my former often career where gravity is a therapist. I'm like, <laughs> that's so heavy, <laughs> like <laughs> gravity, like, so I, so for me, I've always said levity is a therapist. And, um, and that if we, if we actually, I think, I think I Rolf actually had this one off a little bit. Um, the stacking of the bones in space to to engage gravity. Um, I, I more see it as the alignment of the visceral spaces to engage levity. So same same activities, different different story. 
Same therapy, different story. That the success of finding your line is not from so much bony alignment as alignment of the pressure differentials in your visceral spaces, which when they're stacked on top of each other, your high pressure pelvic space, your your high your your slightly less pressure abdominal space creates some movement of your pelvic organs into the low pressure zone, relative low pressure zone of your abdomen. And then the abdominal space is very high pressure <clears throat> relative to the thorax. And if you if you get the pelvis and the abdomen and the thorax lined up, you you start to float. Um, you're, 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 you engage the gift of levity. That's, that's, um, that's your birthright actually as a biped. And, uh, and it's a very light and, and wonderful feeling. It, it will make you cry and laugh at the same time when you feel it. And, and I do, <laughs> and, you know, I think I like to say in one of my poems, like we basically to, to, to leave behind the trappings of the grave. And by that, I would mean not only that hole in the ground, but that seriousness, you know, that, uh, that, that, that grave disposition, you know, because golly, I mean, this place is ridiculous. You might as well laugh at it. I mean, I, I spent my whole morning, like, you know, I was getting poop out of a cecum of this poop fellow and because it just does poop and on camera. It's just not great. You know, so I've, I've been filming for eight months and there's a lot of poop in the scene. <laughs> like, this is great. This is just fabulous. I mean, at the pinnacle of my career, I'm I'm not only wiping butt, I'm, I'm wiping colon. I mean, I'm actually right, right in there, you know, and so, so it's uh, this is how it goes. <laughs> getting scatological now. <laughs> but that's reality i mean we that's all got checks exactly that's reality and if you think that uh, bill gates and the pump don't shit you're you're not thinking hard enough <laughs> or mother Teresa, she was a pooper <laughs> yeah yeah they're still they have a, a lot of her remains they, they they just collected that poop from uh wherever she went they still have it left over in india in calcutta <laughs> yeah they're gonna put it into lockets uh, yeah <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, in like, I mean, this is off topic, but they used to like, you can go to all these uh, stupas, pagodas throughout Asia where it's like, there's a, a fingernail of Buddha saved in those, in that area. I was like, what? Oh, yeah. I went to, I went to this. <laughs> it's there's, like that. <laughs> there's a, there's a temple in Sri Lanka that like has the, I think it's the, some teeth of Buddha, supposedly. Like, would it, would 2,500 years later, it'd still be around, you know, I just always pictured some guy, you know, going around selling fake, uh, fake Buddha facts, you know, this was his, his hair. Take it out. Uh, it's a longstanding tradition on the planet to, to, to revere bits of bits and pieces. I went to uh, Siena in Italy where they have St. Catherine's head, you know, in a box but the line was really long. <laughs> so my cousin and I were like, let's go over to this shorter line. So we waited on the shorter line and we eventually got up to St. Catherine's thumb, which is on a spike in this box. And we were like, whoa, the holy thumb. Yeah. So it's a strange thing. We believe we are our bodies. And so our saints must have really extra special bodies and we revere them. But um, there are other traditions on the planet that believe quite the opposite, <laughs> you know, that we're not our bodies. They tend to fall into that category. Uh, philosophically, I'm no longer, I identify with my body strongly, but I, I'm not dumb enough to believe it. It's one thing to identify with something. It's another thing to believe it. I don't know if there's anything else you feel you want to share for, for today before you do go back into the lab and, you know, drink your coffee. Um, the body, uh, when studied with care, makes it indisputably clear that we are continuous, that the differences we perceive are beautiful and interesting and it's a creative and necessary process to perceive differences if you can't perceive differences you're not even on the earth plane 
you're in some field of light. This is the plane where we can perceive differences and enjoy them. And perceiving a difference never imputes separation. So there is no separation just because you can see a difference. So given that there is no separation, think twice before you separate <laughs> over nothing. Come together. For, Absolutely. For, for people wanting to study with you, what, what do you got going on? How do people, you know, we'll put a link to, to your website and anything you want. Uh, and we'll Thank you. Send. Yeah, there's a bunch of free stuff there, as you mentioned. And there's also um, two wonderful live stream programs that we filmed this year. Under the circumstances, my classes are very small. And so we decided to live stream them and then they became very big <laughs> at large. And, and we took those recordings in 4K. We zoomed them to the live audience, but we simultaneously recorded them in 4K. And so I have a wonderful archive of these two courses that I haven't really advertised, but they're, they're awesome. And it turns out that it's possible to convey the experience that way. And the feedback I got from people was, wow. <laughs> so, so, uh, so go there for my free stuff. But if you're interested, those are also wonderful programs as well. And then hopefully once COVID ends, you'll be back and actually doing in, in person. Yeah. I'll announce my schedule soon. I didn't miss a class. I taught everything. I'm, 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 uh, that's a whole other conversation, <laughs> but yeah, we I just had people who weren't afraid to come, come and we had a wonderful time and we live streamed it. So, and I'll do the same again next year. Cool. cool. Well, Gil, thank you so much for your time and your energy and your knowledge and, and, and you and your body. And we'll be in touch uh, for another talk at some other point. Thanks, Andrew. Thanks, yeah. Nikki. I appreciate you Thank you, you so much. Thanks. Take Have care. a good day. Bye. 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 Thanks for listening to us at Touching Into Presence. We hope you enjoy today's conversation. You can find out more about Gil at gilheadley.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, We'd appreciate if you'd leave positive reviews of the podcast and subscribe to it through the platform of your choice. When you do this, it really helps other people find us, and we greatly appreciate your support. We look forward to hearing back from you and seeing you on our next conversation at Touching Into Presence. Bye-bye for now.